Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 40, Feeding the Soul and Publishing Your Passion Project with Joe Brown. So, hi everyone, welcome back. I hope you're doing well. I have a few updates, not too many, and then we'll go directly into the interview with Joe. So, I made some changes to the Discord server for the show. I have opened it up, and if you go into my profile on Instagram, you will see a link to a Linktree page, and on that page you'll see a link to the Discord server. So, I've opened up a series of channels to the public. There are still some that are blocked away for Patreon members. So, I welcome you to join in and be part of the conversation. We're going to start building it slowly and providing kind of a safe place for people to share art, talk about resources and things like that. And we'll see how it goes. There's no cost in kind of joining. I think it'll be fun. We've got a few people in there now and uh, hopefully it'll grow over time and we'll see where this takes us. So I think it's kind of cool. So having uh, finished October, I'm back to graphite and I'm so happy. (laughs) Happy to be drawing with pencil again. I'm excited about uh, what I have planned in the next few weeks and months. I've got uh, some larger pieces I'm working on and I've got some smaller bits. I'm going to be doing quite a bit more uh, pushing out to uh, Instagram some of the pieces I've started, I've got a duckling that I've, or two ducklings I've been working on, and I've, sh- I've posted some work in progress to my Instagram. And so I'm going to be doing a few more illustrations over the next, uh, as I said, next probably couple of months at least. And I'm going to be doing those as live streams as well. So I'm going to be doing some live streaming on Instagram. I will try and post those in advance. And I'm also going to do a bit more on Twitch. And the advantage with Twitch is that I have a bit more control over the video feed as well as the audio, and you'll be able to see the reference photo I'm working from, and you'll be able to see me if I choose to show that video feed as well. So a link to my Twitch channels in that uh, Linktree page as well. It's easy. It's just Mike Hendley on uh, on Twitch. And I'm going to try and do a scheduled, you know, maybe twice a week on Twitch specifically, Instagram Live, I will try and put that entry on my story so you can uh, plan to watch if it works out for your timing. I'm going to, I'm in the Eastern uh, Standard Time Zone, so I'm probably going to focus more around my schedule for now, but I may consider doing some early morning uh, to accommodate maybe other time zones in the world. So we'll see. I'm pretty flexible with that, but I do have a full time job uh, doing not art. And so I've got to be mindful of that. I may maybe move some things to the weekends, and uh, we'll see where that goes. I've also got some interesting interviews. I've been asked to uh, to do some other live work for a couple of other people. So I will share that once we confirm times and days and things like that. I'm excited about that. It's tied to um, to obviously to art and to drawing. So that'll be coming up, and I will share those. So the Patreon has been going well. I'm so thankful for all of you who are supporting the show. I've decided I'm going to add a $10 tier. So currently there is a $5 tier and a $20 tier. And I just sent out a reward for uh, one of the top tier users uh, this past weekend. So my thought with the $10 tier is that it would give you access to the Discord server at a higher level so you get those additional hidden channels. And it maybe is more accessible for people than the, uh, the $20. And so I'm just playing around with this a little bit, and I'm also looking at, I think, going to do some postcards and stickers and things like that. 
to help kind of, uh, you know, I would like to get a physical reward. So I've been kind of working on that a little bit as, as well. So bear with me as I kind of move through this. You know, I do appreciate the support that you've given with the podcast. Uh, you know, there are some costs around this. There's some equipment I purchased just to do the podcast. And there are bits that I need to upgrade. Obviously, there's the ongoing cost for hosting and everything else. So I appreciate all your support with that. You know, if you're a listener, you can support it uh, just by sharing the show. You can share it on Twitter and Instagram. You can send the link to others. You can post a review on Apple iTunes. And so there's other ways you can support by, you know, with it doesn't cost you a cent. And I do appreciate all of that. So thank you. And so I've reached out to a few um, manufacturers of art supplies, and I wanted to uh, be able to kind of try some new materials. So I did hear back from uh, Strathmore. They sent me a series of, I think, four kind of journal-type books and material. And so I'm going to be kind of reviewing that from my perspective over the next few weeks, and I will post that to Instagram. I will also loop back on the podcast here and talk about what I received and what I thought about it. I'm not going to go through it now because I'd rather kind of spend some time with these materials, but I'm excited about what they sent me. So I think that was really cool. Thank you, Strathmore. And the other company that reached out to me was Pentel Canada. So as you know, I love working with my Pentel GraphGear 1000 mechanical pencil. I use a 0.3 millimeter. So I do most of my work now with that. I still use a Stadler uh, 2 millimeter as well, but uh, the Pentel really allows me to get the detail I need. And so that has been my go-to for, for quite some time. So Pentel sent me uh, some additional samples of uh, mechanical pencils. And once again, I will talk about those in a future podcast, but I will also uh, cover them in Instagram and on Twitch. And so I'll be anxious to try these out and see how they feel and uh, provide you my kind of honest opinion on these I'm pretty stoked about about these pencils. They cover kind of the the economy level of of pencils, if you could call it that, and then a higher end model as well. And so I'm really excited in uh, trying these out and how they compare to the uh, the Graph Gear 1000s I've been using for some time. So I'm excited about that, and I'm looking forward to uh, trying them out. So uh, yeah, uh, so I think I'll. End it there, and I'll have more updates in the next uh, show with regard to some of the stuff I'm working on. But I really am anxious to get into this interview. I really enjoyed speaking to Joe. We had uh, talked about a year ago about her work, and she's had so many huge changes uh, since then. And obviously, through a pandemic, is quite challenging as well. And I'm hopeful you'll feel inspired and motivated by this. Uh, you know, incredible person, very uh, thoughtful and considerate of, of nature and her surroundings. And I'm sure that uh, she will inspire you to uh, to get outside and, you know, bring back those lessons, bring back those images and start creating on your own. So stay tuned. It was a wonderful time and a wonderful chat with uh, Joe Brown. My guest this week was on the show back in October 2019. Her incredible ink illustrations of the natural world caught my eye, as did her nature journal. A year later, and her journal has been published. She's also been busy with a few other things, like otters and spiders, and of course, mushrooms. To talk about her new book and what she's been working on, I welcome back to the podcast, Joe Brown. Hi, Joe. How are you? Hello. I'm good, thank you, Mike. How are you? 
Good, good. It's been, uh, I was looking, it was October 21st that we did our last kind of chat together. And I really wanted to have you back on because, you know, there's been one or two things I think that's happened since then. A few few things have gone down globally. That's (laughs) it. And you've been really busy. So we're going to get through, we're going to talk about uh, a project that you did latter part of last year. And then we're going to talk about your new book, uh, which is exciting. I've ordered it, but I haven't seen it yet, <laughs> but, it, but it is coming across the pond. So <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. We'll talk about a few other things as well. If people want to check out that previous podcast, I will include a link to it in the show notes so that we t- you can hear us talking about your kind of origin story and how you uh, came to uh, to be where you're at right now as a matter of illustration and drawing. But I wanted to, I think I wanted to first talk about um, how are you doing? How's the pandemic been treating you? Wow. Has it been a big impact? Because I know that, as we talked about in the previous podcast, you really enjoy being outdoors and in nature in the woods. Yeah. It's pretty much business as usual for me, <laughs> because um, I've been avoiding people for uh, a decade. So <laughs> it's, um, now it's commonplace. Now it's acceptable to uh, you know keep away from people and not talk to people. It feels like paradise, really, sometimes. But um, I'm very lucky in the respect that it has. I did a lot of my work online in okay. any way so my work hasn't been as affected as um, as other people um physically but emotionally uh sometimes it can be quite difficult to finish a book uh <laughs> in the middle of a lockdown <laughs> right. middle of a national lockdown that was um i must say a particularly challenging couple of months uh, for me to um the pressure to draw and produce with with the knowledge that this is going to be published in a minute of a national lockdown was yeah that was that was pretty hard but i did it i got there in the end awesome like i think that's that's the thing that's really hard with this right is it may not affect you technically working but it feels like there's so much weight i mean especially with everything happening in the u.s in oh, and around it's just everywhere you know, it's heavy. yeah yeah and yeah then, the pandemic around the world, it just, everything feels so heavy. It's, it's, re- it is. It's really very heavy. dense, um, yes. kind of global atmosphere right. at yeah. the moment. And, um, it affects everything. It affects right. everything you do, everything you say, but, uh, you've just got to find, got to find a way where you can manage, you know, right. and cancel out the madness and just try and try and get on with it because you can't control what's going on out there right. we have no control to a certain degree you've got to try and control the, the way you react to it exactly and i feel that in some ways so i'm in ottawa we're going to probably get a significant snowfall within the next who knows hopefully the next couple of weeks and i feel yeah. that's going to be so nice because it it adds this whole just it changes the canvas for everything right we all Fresh go to canvas. white exactly yeah, yeah blank canvas yes and then Lots if it's enough things. snow, it makes everything so quiet because it absorbs the noise of the vehicles. Oh, that sounds that sounds glorious. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> yeah, a, a reset. Uh, yeah. So anyways, it's, um, it's good to have you on. I'm glad to see that it hasn't have impacted you um, as much as maybe some other people have had it hit them. And uh, yeah, so yeah. that's good. It's good that you're healthy. You too. So I wanted to reach back in time and it feels like COVID time's a bit different, so it feels almost like maybe five years ago, but <laughs> last fall, <laughs> as part of um, something you were doing for, and maybe you can talk in detail, because I think when we last spoke, I don't think you have it even you had even started it, but you did this amazing drawing 
on an otter, or I guess two <laughs> otters. And I, if you can remember back to that pre-COVID time, I think this is such a wonderful piece. And I don't know, maybe you can talk about the reason for it, because it went for, you know, there was a good cause here. And then we can talk about the details and the time it took for you to do this. So what was this otter thing about? It was to do with um, um, Dartmoor. Uh, Dartmoor started the, um, the Dartmoor, the Moor Otters project in uh, 2017. And uh, and they did another one. No, yeah, 2017 was the first one. And uh, I didn't have any idea. One of my friends told me about it at the end of last last year. Oh, you should enter this. And I'm like, what's this? It's like, you've got to draw a design of an otter. You're an artist. You can do it. And I'm like, well, and then and then they select you. You know, then you if you win, they select your artwork and and they put it on on an otter on Dartmoor. I'm like. Really? Oh, oh, all right then. I'll have a go. What shall I draw on it? Oh, I could draw my October. I'll draw that on it. Not realizing, you know, how enormous that that project um, <laughs> consumed me entirely, and um, and it was a brilliant cause, and it's it's completely out of my comfort zone because it's not something that I've ever done before. But I knew that I was capable. It's just drawing. It's just not flat. And and I had all my pens, you know, poskers and sharpies and fire liners and, and all sorts. And I thought, right, I'll do Inktober as is. On that's my idea. I've already got, you know, I didn't have to think about an idea. Like, I'll just do that. Yeah, two hundred fifty hours later, two and a half months that it took me, and I was just most nights sleepless, many sleepless nights, just listening to um, Heelung. I discovered a new. A new band of um, experimental folk band, uh, Heilung, which is German for healing, and it's uh, amp- amplified history. They they call themselves, and it's um, absolutely incredible music. So I played that as I, I rinsed that as I was painting this otter, and I I miss it. I miss the otter on my kitchen table. But that was a great project, all for the um, conservation of Dartmoor National so Park. Is, is Dartmoor like a, like, is it a park? Is it a protected area? It is, it's a, yeah, it's a protected area. It's Dartmoor National Park is a series of um, uh, heathland and, and forest and um, and tours, T-O-R, uh, the granite tours that pop out of the top, steeped in um, folklore and history and old Bronze Age settlements and things like that. It's incredible, incredible place, full of inspiration. Wow, that sounds amazing. And this otter is, it's its like ceramic or plaster or is it? A- it's, um, it's fiberglass. It's, it, it's a fiberglass otter and there was um, 80 of them uh, produced. Okay. I think the last time they did it, there was um, there was 60. But don't quote me on that, I'm not sure. But um, in 2019, at the end of, they selected them all, and I got in. Yay! And um, there was 80. So 80 artists took part, and they placed them on otter trails. It was supposed to be this year, but otter spotters, you know, to, <laughs> to go around Dartmoor and, and find them. And then at the end, there'd be an auction, and they're auctioned off, and then the proceeds go to... Um, to the conservation of, of Dartmoor National Park. And I was like, oh, my God, I love Dartmoor. I'm going to do this. This is brilliant. <laughs> this is a way to help Dartmoor with my artwork because I don't know any other way because, you know, right. I'm not rich. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it was, a, it was great. How big was this art? Like, how tall was it? Three and a half foot, something like that. Wow. Something like that. Yeah, bigger than you'd think. I was like, oh, it's going to take ages. And it did. 
<laughs> I, there's parts of it that, you know, you look along the back and you think, oh, that's going to be easy to draw on there. But you think about the elbows and areas like that where it's upside down. <laughs> and Those little crevices. It was so difficult. And because I, was work- I wasn't working with a paintbrush. I was working with marker pens. Right. Don't deviate off what you know. So I was like working with- and I'd never done it before. So I was like, is this gonna is this gonna be alright? Or right. is this gonna and when it came to varnishing, oh god, what a day. It was horrible. I was like, if I spray this and it all melts off, what 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 am I gonna do? So um there was a lot of firsts. There was a lot of scary moments, but it worked. It worked. And it looks beautiful. I'll provide some uh, links to that in the show Thank notes you so because much. I think it's incredible. So it went off okay. The varnish it went off okay because I did my research. I got some outside help from people who'd done sculptures before. Um, one guy, Dave Smith, Dave Smith, a studio toad, um, noticed that I I was using Sharpies for bits and pieces. He'd painted an elephant for Plymouth a few years back. And he, he direct messaged me. He's like, you need to use the right sort of uh, spray varnish if you're going to use Sharpie. I'm like, Really? Do you? He's like, yeah, yeah, that come off. That's my... and I'm like, oh. So, um, so I did a lot of uh, research, a lot of homework. And when the first, I would never paint varnish on. So I used about ten coats of different um, spray varnishes very carefully. And once that was dry, twenty four hours later, then I put the um, the final anti graffiti. A paintbrush varnish on. So what? There's anti-graffiti varnish. Is that right? There's an anti-graffiti thick lacquer varnish that that they used um, a while back, and what other people, other artists who've done it before, had suggested, and also what the More Otter Project uh, suggested. This brand, and I was like, I've never heard of that before. And um, but it's great, really good. But you paint it on; it's really thick. And um, and I thought if I paint that on first, I'm screwed. I can't do that. It's too delicate. So I uh, sprayed a load on, and then I sprayed a load more on, and then I got another can, and I sprayed a load more on, and then I painted over it. Yeah, that's I've never heard of anti graffiti. I mean, it makes sense that there would that product would exist, but I guess you know, obviously, if you're if they're going to be laying these out on the trails, you want to be able to protect them a bit. They're going to be going like you know, in all, all weathers and stuff like that, and you just you know, you never know what's going to happen to you. So. What a, I mean, this this is a project for you. Like, <laughs> if there was ever a project, that's for Joe Brown. It's, Do you think? Yeah, <laughs> drawing on a on a fiberglass otter and putting it out in the woods. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh yeah, brilliant. So where is it now? It's so it's. They're not out like this. It's was... with all the rest at um, uh, the Jolly Roger in uh, Bobby Tracy, which is that which are the guys that did the made the molds. They made the fiberglass molds, and we had to take them all there. When was it? I can't remember March or something. To um, before lockdown, uh, we had to take them all there to um, be photographed and everything, and then they would they were going to be placed. Um, situated in their in their places across Dartmoor in May, I think at the end of May, and there was going to be an opening ceremony. And anyway, none of that happened because there was a global pandemic. Right. And but it's it's because they're all finished and they're all done. It's not cancelled. It's just postponed until next year. So um, I'll give you a link at some point uh, next spring. It's all gonna start again. Well, yeah. So. Let me know. I'll uh, I'll put it into whatever show I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, do. 
Because I think that's, I, I mean, it's such a brilliant idea. We have a, um, so we have something a little bit similar here. We have a tulip festival every spring. And there are these massive, I think, I'm not even sure, I think they're concrete, but they're these massive tulips. And they're seriously like four feet tall. And Huge, yeah, them, yeah. Yeah. Um, significantly larger, but the work tends not to be as, largely is not as detailed as what you did. But to see right. your work, to the listener, go check this out. Because when you see it, you'll realize, okay, I understand 250 hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole lot of detail. It was yeah. a labour of love, man. I, I went a bit nuts on it, it but I, yeah, I just did all that work. And, yeah. Did you see? Have you seen the other ones? Have you seen what other people? I've have seen done? quite a few of the other ones. I've, um, I met some people at the launch, and I met Nick Baker, who's um, a naturalist that I've ad- admired for many years. I didn't even know he was doing an officer, so we met, and he likes my artwork, which is great, <laughs> and. Um, Obviously, on the course of people painting the otters over the months, I um, I met a few online uh, other the um, online buddies, and we exchanged advice and things that we used, and talked about how difficult it was sometimes, and what varnish and things like that. So I remember a lot of the people. I had a few messages from people thanking me for doing a blog on the varnish and how I did it, because they said thank you so much because I use sharpie and. I didn't know whether this was going to, and your blog really, really helped to, um, to get us, you know, to, and I was like, oh, that's, that's really nice that, um, that I help people with my process. That's awesome. And so you said you were using Sharpies, you used... Uh... I used Posca as well, okay. Uni, Posca paint pens. They were the main ones that I used. Okay. Um, I used a little bit of Sharpie here and there for when the Poscas weren't quite fine enough. But it was, uh, I used Unipin as well and Faber-Castell and just everything. Everything, all the pens I could get my hands on. So That's awesome. I was I was really inspired watching that. I couldn't Thank think you. about, I mean, I have trouble putting stuff down on a, on a flat canvas, much less something that has elbows and heads. And <laughs> it was a one-off, you see. It was a one-off. <laughs> That's not something I do every day. So I didn't know what I was letting myself in for, really. Yeah, you're not going to be able to get prints of that, so. <laughs> no, that's unique. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So the other big thing that, I mean, we we talked about this, I think, in the last episode when you and I spoke, but uh, I'm not sure I knew a whole lot except uh, to find out now that this journal, this nature journal, because now I, I was just looking today, so you did this nature journal, and we can go into how that started and all that, but I think the the real pivot point for you is you shared a video on Twitter, I think it was, where you were flipping through this nature journal you created. And I was looking today, it's got 1.1 million views. That's ridiculous. And, <laughs> it is. <laughs> and I remember, like, we spoke about it, but I don't think that, I don't think we talked about it turning into a published book, right? And so I, I want to talk about that because that's the book that people can order. And I'll provide a link to it. Um, this is, I remember, Back then, it inspired me. This idea of of having a nature journal uh, based off your your walking through the woods and the photographs, the wonderful photographs that you take and share, and you still do. So maybe for those who've not heard of the book before, what was your inspiration and, and what is this book? Because I think even when we spoke about it, like the material you use, the book itself wasn't, you know, like a, a fancy book by any means <laughs> but but it was just a way for you to share this so maybe you can talk about what is the nature journal and how did it start i realize now the reason that i started the nature journal in 2018 and not 10 years ago 
was because location and I've lived where I live now for uh, four years, just over four years. And um, it's so much more peaceful. And it's a cul-de-sac of the cul-de-sac, so all the pets are safe. And uh, back onto a woodland, quadrupled my bird population because I feed them so much. Awesome. And it was the perfect environment. I gradually built, after about two years, I built the perfect environment. Working from home, my studio, I've got my bird feed set up so I can see them from the window. I'm like, oh, I feel quite inspired. <laughs> and um, I've always loved nature, as we've discussed. I've always been an artist, and I just thought now that my work is picking up and I'm I'm getting more uh, recognition, I I just want to have a little thing for myself. I love learning about nature, and I started to realise I want to record this. I want something that I can, you know. I don't have children. I want to leave a legacy behind that people will learn from. Say, yeah, that's that's what I did. They go have that. So I had that in mind. But I never had anything in mind with regards to publishing when I began it because that's not what it was about. It was about a little memoir for, for me to remember. And I, I still flick through it and have a look. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I found that out. That was really interesting. So I wrote that down. And I just also wanted to learn and document the things that I was seeing, the emergence of things throughout each season, because it gives you a better understanding of when things appear, why they appear, what time they appear, and, and the weather and everything. And it, it helps it helps me to um, understand my surroundings and be feel more connected to the things that are going on around me. And with that in hand, my perception and my my little sort of skill for pointing out the tiny insignificant things comes into play because towards the end of locked you know towards the end of the book most of the, you know all the pages are from my own garden because the, we didn't go out much and I was trying to find inspiration with a cloud of bleakness over us you know so I just started to put together put together the journal from when when I was when I was seeing things. And then, yeah, after after a year of doing that, all of a sudden, I was like, I'm not feeling it. I haven't been feeling it for weeks. I don't, what do I do? Oh, I need some inspiration. So I thought, I'll just post a, a, a flick through on online. And then overnight, it just went nuts. I had 9,000 followers when I went to bed, and I woke up with 20,000 followers, thousands of messages, and thousands of questions and i was like oh my god <laughs> what am i doing and um publishers loads agents just numerous and it was quite overwhelming and um but after all that happened a month later i came out with um a publishing deal for um for the journal from short book um and uh, a literary agent claire wallace uh, from dolly dolly anderson agency and i was so, yeah, that happened, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. And and I think it's a brilliant book. I've ordered it, so it's, uh, it is on its way. But, you know, for those who are listening to this in their car or on their commute, if they are allowed to commute at this point, <laughs> this Nature Journal has, would you say, like, each page would be a specific focus? Like, you would have, is each page focused on a specific item, uh, you know, as, as like a bird or a type of mushroom or a mix of, like, do each represent 
Is it, would that be appropriate to describe it that way? For like, if you had to explain this over the phone or something to somebody, well, I'd say each page is um, is a, is focused on a particular species. But what that species is could be anything that I see that's interesting. So you know, it could be flower, or it could be a a fungi, or it could be a beetle, or it could be a spider. And I think um, I enjoy that way of doing things because I could never, I could never do. I know I could draw, but I could never do an ID book because it's you know there's loads and loads and loads and loads of moths. There's loads and loads and loads and loads of bees, and I don't know them all. And I, I can't. Um, I like everything nature in the natural world. I like all sorts of things, so I don't want to limit myself to learning about all of it and not specialising in... I mean, I, I do have a fondness for mushrooms. I do love learning <laughs> yes. about them. I think that's quite apparent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that... Um... What I love about your nature journal is that you do, like, if you have a spider, uh, it is in its environment. And if, you know, in some cases, you provide kind of that magnified view of... I understand, yeah. yeah Other people part of, have said that to me as well. Yeah, and I like think you, that that's, yeah. it's not like a typical nature reference book. Like, you, you do provide mm -hmm. that environment, and it's done in such a way that, and I'm so anxious to see how this, like, how did it translate from what you actually did in this nature, and this journal you bought... Like the original journal you bought just on Amazon, or did you buy it in, in an art store? Like it was. Uh... I bought it on Amazon. Right, and so it's I not like. I don't it's... like to say that, but I did. <laughs> I bought it on Amazon. I just typed in A6 leather journal. That's the size I wanted. I didn't want anything too overwhelming. I work better smaller, and then it's not too much of a challenge or this onus that you have to get over to to, to complete one page. Right. It's a Gaocheng A6 leather journal. Okay. Uh, so, I'll, yeah, but it's not, designed, it's not designed for drawing in. Right. And I think that's what, you know, for the artist listening, you don't always have to go out and spend all this money on a journal that's, no, you know, no need. <laughs> $60. <laughs> Just pick up a newspaper and start drawing on that. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> right. <laughs> And uh, and the journal you bought was it intended? It was wasn't intended for it at all, right? Like it's intended yeah. as a as a journal, like a daily. Well, it's about the it? size of a. It's about the size of a Bible. It's huge, like th yeah, but the pages are quite thin. So um, yeah, it's just designed to write in. I'd imagine being lined and whatnot. But I like I like drawing a line paper. And what were the tools that you used? I used um, Charisma um, colored pencils by Beryl, which okay. unfortunately they discontinued in two thousand and five. And I was devastated, but um, some of my greens are getting a bit stubby now. So uh, the Faber-Castell Polychromos, they're, um, they're right. absolutely brilliant, and I'm starting to use those. But I would say that uh, the colour pencils, the um, the Charismas, are just the best pencils I've ever used. Nothing it, it, nothing compares. I don't know why they stopped you can discontinue them. I, I right. just, why? <laughs> why, Beryl? There you go. When you did this, you didn't necessarily sit in the woods and... No. There. <laughs> no, I've got a dog and I'm just covered in mud and moss and sticks and everything would have got really messy and um, that, the journal would have been too precious to to take out in the field because he just would have come back covered in mud. So no, I take a lot of pictures from as many different angles as I can, as I can get and um, mm. if it's not moving, it's obviously a lot easier. So if it's like a, a, a fungus, it's... Um, or a plant, it's a lot easier to get really good shots. 
But if it's a beetle or like a centipede or a spider or a bird, you're like, a thousand shots of this. Like a one decent one. But uh, yeah, so it's a struggle trying to get some of the subjects. It's like, oh, no, it's gone. It's gone. (laughs) (laughs) So. And how many, I'm going to say pages. I'm not going to say how many animals, but how many pages, how many are in the book? I did 89 pages. Okay. Wow. I tried to do 91, but I didn't quite get there. So I did 89. And it's only because I don't like even numbers. It was complete. It's just, it's a completely neurotic reason. (laughs) And I'll I'll link to the original video because you flipping through it is just brilliant. Like that is a moment in time uh, because I think that's when I started following you. So, you know, maybe I'm one of those (laughs) 10 or 11,000 people overnight. But I think just to see that, and you know, and as you hinted to, like there are lines in this journal. Like it is not just. Yeah. Uh, on lined paper. It is lined paper that you drew on. In the final book that's been published, does it still have the lines? Yeah. It's so it looks exactly the same? It, it looks exactly the same. It's um, it's printed as is. It's They didn't even get rid of the tipex. Nothing. It's just completely the same, which is just wonderful. It's charming, really, I think. It's, it's What more could you ask? It's exactly right. as is. I think what's unique about you, Joe, is that, um, and I heard on a different podcast, these artists were talking about, you know, if you were on a desert island and you were the only one there, would you still create art, right? Which, if you didn't have eyes on your stuff, would you still create? And I immediately thought of you. You have to, yeah. Yeah. I immediately thought that if you were on that island, you would absolutely create. Of course. (laughs) I mean, there is this relationship, right? Especially if you start doing commissions, there's this relationship you have with the customer where you do something and you show it to them and then you build off their feedback. Um, you know, if you're working with a publisher, then that relationship also exists. And by yeah. by means of that, you're also connecting with the customer. Yeah. But this nature journal, as you said, you wanted to do this for you, something that you could hand off. And, and now I'm going to have a copy in my house, right? So <laughs> <laughs> it's all still a bit surreal. I can't quite believe it. It's, uh, it's incredible. It's been absolutely wonderful so for many people. And I have to say that your approach and your art has inspired me. Like, you know, there's, if Thank people... You. I'm glad about that. <laughs> if people look at my Inktober for this year, I intentionally went in and added a few mushrooms just because that was... Yeah, when you told to me that, I thought, oh, I got a little teary. I was like, oh, bless him, that's so sweet. Yeah, it's... Because um, I, th- I think that in the art that I've been doing, in the last year, I've really enjoyed drawing these fragile bits of nature, like you know, a, a, a dragonfly emerging from its its nymph. You know, uh, your dragonfly and- was amazing. I absolutely loved it, and I loved your little cobweb as well, and the June worm with <laughs> yeah. the mouth. That was great too. Great reference. There. I loved it. I loved it seeing it come together. Oh, and the monarch um, chrysalis hanging and, and the butterfly oh. on the reed. Yeah, that was right. great too. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely. Yeah, it's, um, I think a lot of that, like I did, uh, I did a monarch a few years ago, two monarchs, and uh, the dragonfly was a duplicate or not a duplicate. I did a graphite version of that earlier this year. So I was just did it again in ink. But this, we've kind of cleaned up the woods behind our house and made it so that we can go sit and enjoy. And it, it, you know, this is something we've always done, but, Mm. you know, people always think about, and I saw James Gurney talking about, you know, someone asked him, uh, where where in the world would you draw? What would you want to go paint? And he's like, "Uh, where I live. And I think that's, we need to realize that in our backyard, right outside 
the wall of our house, there may be something yeah. really captivating and interesting. We just need to look for it, right? It's there and to be found. Not, why not learn about it? Just exactly. What, what you're in your immediate surroundings. Right. Get a full, you know, just absorb everything around you. And there's beauty in absolutely everything that you look at. You just, right. it's how you look at it. And I think that's what's really interesting about the Nature Journal is it's not just, I went out and grabbed some photos today. And now I'm going to take what I think is inspiring or beautiful and draw them. But I want to learn about it. And that curiosity, oh, yeah, yeah. right, Definitely. Is, is really what separates this work that you've done from uh, much of what's out there. And I think that's really, I, I think that means a lot. I think that's, you know, it's, it is reflecting a point in time in the woods around your place or in Devon or, or wherever um, you're, you're having a walk with, with your dog. Yeah. <laughs> I think sharing this knowledge and having other people curious, and even now, you, you know, you still post photos and things like that, and some of them, for people who don't like spiders, may be quite shocking, but I think it's just wonderful to see that, you know, regardless of the pandemic, the animals don't know about it, and no, they're still they doing their stuff, right? They're and still living, they're still existing, they don't exactly. know what's going on. And in some areas, they're probably really enjoying it. I like, you know, places like Devon that was probably shut down. They're probably thinking, wow, it is so quiet. It's nice and quiet here. <laughs> I think I'll come out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think, yeah. um, I think the global pandemic has given the world, the earth, a, a chance yeah. to breathe um, yes. to a certain extent. You know, there's a lot less uh, pollution going on. You're starting to see a lot more animals. I mean, I think at one point there was a, there was a town in Wales just became overrun by sheep, or was it goats or something? They all started coming into the town, oh, really? and yeah, brilliant. I, I love your work. I love the nature. I'm so excited. I was really hoping it would be here by this point. In time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it yet. Oh um, God! <laughs> and I think it's like the, it was funny the way you described this idea of. You know, moving to where you are for four years, it really sounds like even though you create in your house, your studio is outside as well. And uh, that's just brilliant that you've kind of embraced nature at that level, right? Where you've got... It's very uh, important, the location where I am. I've, I, but I, I didn't really understand or realize that until I got here and started drawing. You do, I didn't put, put the dots together. I didn't realize because... I remember a few years back, somebody asked me, well, I think it was when I first began the journal, oh, why, how come you started it? You know, why didn't you start it ages ago? And I didn't know. I, did, I, didn't, I didn't have an answer. I was mm. like, oh, that's a, that's a good <laughs> I didn't really know. And I now realise that I wouldn't have been able to. I wouldn't have been able to have the focus to, to concentrate on something so personal because there wasn't as much nature. There wasn't a word. The animals weren't as safe as I would have liked them to have been because the road was a you know a cut through and and um and one of my cats got got run over sadly and that was it I was going to put the house up for sale I was like I'd had that cat for twelve years I was it was, and I felt responsible it was my fault because I bought the house you know so when I moved here and um they're all safe now and there's, you can't uh, speed up here because it's a it's a dead end. Um, and it backs onto a wood and it's not overlooked. It's very private. Right. That is very important as well because I'm a very private person and I don't like to bother anyone. And I just like to see nature exist 
uninterrupted without any interference from me and obviously spend lots of money feeding it <laughs> feed it feed it get more bird feeders so yeah it's just this very important location did you ever struggle with content for the nature journal did you ever struggle a lot no, for no never no it's impossible every time i go out walking i see something or other it's consistent it's continuous. It's all, it would be impossible to write about everything or run out of subject matter for the journal because it's everywhere all the time, you know, and there's just so much to learn. So you say you're a very private person. How was that experience of dealing with a publisher and then publishing the book and then having to do the media interviews? Like, how was that... Was that- the publisher wasn't a problem at all, and obviously learning that they wanted to publish my book was overwhelming, but it was a really easy ride from the outset because they didn't have any input. They just let me continue the way I was going. They didn't bother me. They didn't tell me what to draw. They didn't say a thing, and it was like, ah, that's nice, you know. And um, so that was that was great. When it was published... Uh, and the launch and all of the subsequent interviews and interest and newspapers and people asking me that was um more difficult but i I got through it and i did it but it's probably the busiest i've ever been in my life and uh, it's quite quite difficult but uh, would would you have rather been drawing on a fiberglass otter versus uh or oh, was yeah. it just a different kind of thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I would have rather been doing that. But um, I just, um, it's just a lot of attention mm-hmm. for being, doing the thing I've always done. So I, I, I still find it quite um, a surreal experience when something that I'm just, that is normal to me is so, you know, so, so amazing to, to, to other people that, the, you know, that some of the comments I've got is that it's just wonderful. It's really, really heartwarming. But, uh, yeah, it's still overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, uh, I'm so happy, you know, having spoken a year ago that you are where you are. And oh, thank you, Mike. Th- that you, uh, you. I- I'm so uh, anxious to see that <laughs> book and have it in our house. And, uh, <laughs> um, I think that's, uh, it, it's, it's just cool to be, this is part of what the podcast is about, is being able to, uh, not just my journey, but being able to follow the journey of others and having yeah, them yeah, come back course. on and talk about what's happened. And I mean, you've had a very productive year, even with the, <laughs> yeah. the pandemic in play, right? <laughs> yeah, the world stopped, just like my career began. Yeah, it's um, it's been crazy. And so for the book, people can buy this uh, I'll provide a link to it, but it's available worldwide, right? From Yeah, uh, yeah, it's available worldwide, uh, all um online the, the online uh, bookshops and stuff and um uh in in all good good bookstores but uh but and i don't think we said what the title is <laughs> uh it's uh, secrets of a devon wood my nature journal that's what it's called are you still journaling are you still like, i can see your photographs on, yeah i'm working on, on other uh, projects uh, at the moment i'm still trying to sort of calm myself down after that <laughs> like enormous storm of uh, of drawing and have a bit of a break and i have uh, other projects i'm still doing my word search um, illustrations for the, for the awesome. puzzle book thing monthly i've got that obviously going on as well and um the other night i did a um i did a shaggy ink cap uh, drawing with the ink 
that I had extracted from the ink cap. I drew an ink cap with it. And that's how I posted that this morning. That seems to have been quite popular. So uh, I saw that this morning. That's something new and experimental that I haven't done before. So, but I like it. Fun. That is. uh, So you extracted? Yeah, I've got a um, a little (laughs) little plastic pipette thing. Okay. And um, you've got to be quick once they once they reach um, mature the the mature fruit. the, The fruiting body is mature. So this is like a mushroom. It's a mushroom. It's in the uh, uh, the corpus. It's the ink cap um, family. Okay. And once the ink cap has uh, reached maturity, within forty eight hours, it will deliquesce. It will turn into a drippy, inky, blobby mess, and then just disappear. So, you've, uh, so when they're young and white and not inky. Right. Uh, the shaggy ink caps, the um, Coprinus omatus. I don't know whether I've pronounced that right. Um, uh, I they're, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're edible. They're edible and they're quite okay. tasty when they're at that stage. But when they've passed it, they start to, to get inky and they start to curl up and drip all this ink. And that's when I went out there in the rain with this. And I'm like, sucking, <laughs> sucking up the ink. And I put it in a little, I just stuck it into a little, um, little thing and it's finished now run out (laughs) that was uh i didn't know that story behind it that's that's just brilliant that it's almost like um it's going to live on through what you've done with it and i think that's that's cool i didn't know that yeah yeah i've not um i've not tried it before it's obviously been done before people artists have, have used the ink from you know what plants and animals and whatnot i i would imagine but i didn't look up how to how to do it? I thought, right, I've got this. Let's 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 just think about how I would go and get that. And like I would suck out pond water from the pond, right? And look at it under the microscope. I was like, oh yeah, I'll use one of them. I'll just suck in the ink, and it you know it, it was successful. So um, that was a brilliant <laughs> little piece. I I'll I'll provide a link to that in the show okay. notes as well because I think that was I didn't know the origin story. I just yeah, um, I don't think I followed it early enough. But the the piece looks brilliant. But to be able to draw. Thank you. You know your view of that before it leaves this earth. Uh, yeah, it's gone you know. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, back into Finished. the soil to produce yeah. more. Yeah, yeah, that's that's brilliant. So all in all, like the book experience for you was a positive one, right? You're not feeling, of course, at the end was... of this that it's uh, like you know, obviously the the Nature Journal itself fed your soul. Yeah, and you're not feeling soured at all because that would be my worry is is that you know when you take something that's so close to you. And maybe mm. it's that relationship, that good relationship you have with your publisher and your publicist and everyone else mm. that allowed you to be Joe Brown through the whole thing and end on that point to say. I've always done it for me. And as long as I can do it for me, then it's going to be okay because I've, I've got a great team of people behind me. This is beginning to grow because for the most part, with regards to this much attention, I'm fairly useless. And uh, I struggle to deal with um, all the incoming messages from here, there and everywhere. But um, the people that I'm working with have um, are picking up on the more important ones. They'll be like, you need to reply to this. This one's important. And, you, and it's, it's helping me forge a career whereby I can draw the things that I want to draw as opposed to drawing things uh, for other people, because I've, um, I've my private commissions have been closed about a year now, 
because I've been so busy with the journal and offshoots of the journal, um, lots of different uh, projects and ideas and um, forthcoming things that I could be working on in the future. And for all these reasons um, alone, is I, I couldn't take part in, uh, in Inktober um, this year. And I think even though I wanted to, I had to take a step back and think, that will consume me. I know that that will consume me. And even if I try and make it so it doesn't, I just won't be happy with that, and I'll and it'll it'll snowball. So and at the end of that, I think it was the right dis- decision to make because um, it's understandable. You know, I've, I've just had a book published. It's my first book. It was a big mm-hmm. deal, and um, and all of the uh, subsequent interviews right. and interests that I got, I wanted to push forward. The local thing, the community thing, the um, uh, you know, I wanted to help people with my art and make people smile with my art, which is another reason that I enjoy doing those painted stones and hiding them because it's just yeah, so a little thing. <laughs> let's talk about that because I, that's directly tied to your book launch. And you know, once again, I'll provide a link to these beautifully painted stones. I, I've seen a few people doing this idea of painting a stone and hiding it, but yours, you take it to a whole new level. And so maybe you can describe that and what happens if you find one of these stones. And this is only in, <laughs> I, I went and looked at my yard. I didn't find any <laughs> <other> stones. <laughs> yeah, it's not worldwide, unfortunately. <laughs> so just this is De- only in... Just in Devon. In Devon, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got the publishers to thank for that. It was actually their idea to uh, for me to do a series of painted stones in order to promote the book. And they were the ones that suggested handing out a free book if you find one. Um, but their idea was born from the fact that I, in the past, on many occasions, have painted stones, and, and, you know, and hidden them and stuff with the um, with the assumption that people, when they find them, they'll either keep them or, or rehide them. And this particular project was in order to promote the book. Now that it's now that it's published, uh, we'd like you to do a series of stones and hide them. And then if they find them, they'll win a free book. And I was like, okay. And they were like, yeah, we want you to do 10. And I was like, oh, God, no, that's an even number. No, I can't do that. So I drew 10. And I was like, oh, I haven't drawn these stones for a while. I'm getting really into this. I've drawn 17 by accident. And uh, my publicist was like, oh, well, uh, I'm going to have to check if uh, that's okay for them to give that many books. And I was like, well, why don't we just do the little ones for bookmarks? You can just give some bookmarks away. So it was, in the end, it was, um, I did. I painted 17, 13 of, uh, 13 of them, you get a free book. And the, the last four, you, you get a bookmark. And there's still quite a few out there yet to be found, which oh, is... Nice. Which is great. And I love it when the people post a picture of how happy they are when they find one. It really does uh, It does warm your heart. So. And so, as an artist, what are you using? Because this is the question I'm going to have if I ever want to do stones. What are you using to, to paint or draw these? Posca. Posca okay. paint pens Posca. are the best. And um, I use Rust-Oleum uh, Crystal Clear Gloss Spray Varnish. Okay. Um, on the on the front and the back, and I use about four or five coats because I'm just a perfectionist, and um, they're going to be out out in the, you know, out in the wilderness. They need to be sealed, and um, right. And also, you don't want any sort of paint or acrylic or any of that flaking off into the nature. You know, you want it all to be to be sealed in one unit. So I was trying to be um environmental as well i don't like using it's not a good idea to use like sticky eyes or or little bits of plastic to stick on 
don't because but things like birds could mistake that for food and you could you know that that could cause problems in um in the ecosystem right that's uh appropriate i think and uh, yeah <laughs> yeah I, I've, I've thought about i've seen your stones and i'm thinking you know maybe i'll just try one <laughs> oh there's so much fun to do mike and they don't uh, depending on the size of the stone I, I i tend to pick quite small ones they don't take any time at all to do and after about you know minus drying time and things like that after about what 40 minutes an hour you know, oh look at that i've got a lovely little outfit brilliant so that's why it's a fun project to do because they don't take long you know i, I think that's something i'm going to want to try next time we go out east because uh, you know when you're out on the ocean uh you can find so many better canvases <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice smooth rounded rocks to be able to do that yeah kind of completely stuff. agree yeah so I want to ask you, and, and that's brilliant. I, I think that's that's so clever that they tied that back as a bit of a promotion for the book. That was and, quite a good idea, yeah. wasn't it? On their part, that was a good idea. Right. And getting <laughs> people out in nature, uh, like that's, yeah, that's yeah. brilliant. So I want to ask you as well about your photography, because that, uh, I see it so much, and it's compelling. It makes me think, oh, wow, I didn't realize, you know, these spiderlings, you know, like I, I'm looking at everything that you post and I immediately want to go outside and see what I got, <laughs> right? And I think that uh, others probably feel the same way, right? It's it's like, wow, this, you have this? And then you go out and you realize that maybe it's in, in your backyard. It's hanging off your back window. and Yeah, exactly. It's brilliant. The pirate, uh, the pirate spider discovery and all of the knowledge that I gained after I found out those existed was um, absolutely brilliant. I just absolutely loved it. I found the first one by accident quite a few years back, and then I've since met loads of spider experts online and um, part of a specialist spider club now, and I'm in the spider group and uh, met local uh, spider experts and we've got spider hunting <laughs> it's just absolutely wonderful and um the, when i did the film when i when i brought them in when i brought that one in and i and i filmed the emergence of the um the seven um aero tuberculata spiderlings that came out i didn't realize when i was filming it and got the footage i realized after because spider expert tone killick told me that's the first time that that species has ever been filmed emerging from, and i was like what <laughs> really <laughs> and he was like yeah he did aero afana he filmed that and he had documented that but aero tuberculata had never been filmed emerging from the egg sac and it was a world first it was something that had never been done before i was just doing it in my kitchen i was sat there with my iphone and a five pound clip on and um was very pleased and unfortunately the second time i attempted it i had the the egg sack not long ago i had the egg sack in front of me for like a month like waiting wait and i missed it they hatched overnight and um i was asleep and i woke up and i and i saw one and i was like oh, oh my god i think five emerged okay so i got as much footage as i i could get but i didn't get any of them coming out do you have them in a container like did you i have had them in half a tupperware that was open and the little twig going over and the egg hanging down and when I came out, yeah, it looked like they had hatched, but I could I, I counted five, but I don't know how many there were. And because they'd all hatched, 
I picked up the whole thing, and after I got my footage, I took it outside and um, I laid it down on the decking where some scrub was, and I just I let them disperse. That's awesome. Now I know a lot of people, maybe not a lot. Some listeners will be thinking, "Oh no, <laughs> I am not doing that." <laughs> when well, it's of, when it's a millimeter big, I yeah, mean, like it's not going to crawl into it's your. So- exactly exactly i remember doing that with uh, the monarchs we raise and trying to catch one emerging and uh, you know you wake up in the morning and it's there and it's got its It's jobs yeah Yeah, it's it's like we missed it but uh, i remember doing one on um doing one live and it was just brilliant but it was one of those things you don't know how long it's going to take right so you're sitting there don't know how long it's going to take and the first emergence was 10 and a half hours it took that long for them all to come out and it was amazing but uh you don't know how long it's going to take and they probably only live for what three months six months like i have no idea they're not long lived so i I don't know the longevity i don't know their lifespan i haven't learned that yet i don't know (laughs) in spider years if 10 if 10 hours may be like a year (laughs) it takes you a year to be bored it (laughs) could be could it the thing was, the thing I found what, probably the most fascinating about it was with the shadow when you're putting the torch and you can see inside the egg sac, there's the eggs. Mm-hmm. And you can't tell how many there are, but they're all at the bottom because you can see in the shadow. So the first time there were seven eggs, but they're all at the bottom. The shadow changed after two weeks and the, the egg sac became full inside. So you could see that the ed- eggs had hatched inside the egg sac and okay. i thought all oh, right this is brilliant they're going to come out soon they stayed in there hatched for two more weeks 14 wow. more days they stayed inside the egg sac before they began to emerge and the same thing happened with the second um egg sac and the observations and that's something that i it blows my mind how how long spiders in general but all the ones i've observed can go for without eating Right. And just staying still for weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks and not moving. Yeah, it was amazing. Well, I remember we had a, a Cercropia moth, which is the largest insect in Canada. I think its wingspan is like six inches or something like that. It's ridiculous. Wow. Large. And we had one over winter in a cocoon. So we found mm-hmm. it on the road and I put it in. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a, a screened in thing because uh, we were raising monarchs. And I was like, I'm going to protect you and find out. And immediately started building its cocoon, right? It's chrysalis. Mm-hmm. And it emerged in the spring, and it was a female. Yeah. So it sat on the wall uh, of our house, and sure enough, a male shows up. And they made it for a day, and it disappeared. But I found out later, they're not born yeah. with a mouth. No, no, no. And when they crazy. emerge as adults, no mouth. Right. The biggest moths last 10, 12 days at most, right. and they don't eat. They just mate and die. That's it. Isn't it incredible? It they is. don't even have a mouth. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I read that. I was yeah. just like, that is insane. But all they're um, eating, they do as um, the caterpillar. They do as the larva. Eat, 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 eat. Yeah. yeah. And then it's the final sort of, here I am. And then it gone. And so what is it about spiders, do you think, that has you so captivated? And like, what is it about a spider that... I had arachnophobia as a child. And I think I remember the exact time that I, that I, that I acquired this... Um, this phobia. I was on a beanbag about six or seven years old, watching telly with my cat on my lap, on, um, and a huge house spider crawled over the cat, and the cat just looked at it, and then it crawled over my legs, and I was frozen. I couldn't, 
I couldn't move. I was, and I'd never had that. Um, I'd, I'd never had that experience before. I didn't know why it scared me so much, but it did. And I was scared of spiders after that. And I didn't want to be. It annoyed me that I was scared of them, that I ran away. And, and um, I think over the years I developed my fear, my phobia, into um, interest and into fascination. And as long as I knew that they couldn't touch me, so if they're under a glass jar or, um, you know, they're behind a screen or something, I could get closer and I could look and I could see and I, and I could learn why they were there. Um, maybe this one likes the, the company of people like cellar spiders. They like to live in places where there's people and if you put them outside at this time of year, they'll die. And I like I understand why you're seeing more of these this year and what they just want to make. They you just see more of them because they're crabbling across the floor because they're looking for a female, you know. And I, the more you learn about things, the less um, you fear. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't have arachnophobia anymore. I think spiders are absolutely brilliant. <laughs> That's that is brilliant. I, I I had and I I can I can connect with that because when we moved out to the country, I wasn't a huge fan of snakes at all. It's um, understandable. But once we moved out here, we had tons of garter snakes. And Loads got, of snakes. Yes. <laughs> Let's move to where I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my fear is uh, itches away. Um, so I started picking them up. And the first couple kind of scared me a little bit. I did it with gloves. I eventually did it without gloves, which you probably shouldn't do, because s- snakes really smell bad. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, if you... If you smell your hands after touching a snake, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know where they sleep or where they hang out, but it's not a pleasant place. Um, but uh, now, like I just always found snakes kind of scary because if you don't see where the head is, you you don't know where they emerge. All you see is this body, and it feels like the body doesn't move. It feels like they just you know because they're moving in this pattern, and you you see the curve where they're turning, and all of a sudden their head pops out three feet the other way or you know you know they're not that big here but um (laughs) they always freaked me out but uh now it's i I see one and you know i have i had a i found a little baby one that was probably i'm gonna say six inches five inches long and uh sure enough it was just a garter snake but it had its mouth open ready to attack yeah yeah uh, it is good to kind of embrace your fears because nature is not you know it's not here to kill you it's we're we're, we're supposed to get along with them it's not and and I think if um, if you try and put yourself in the shoes, in the body of the nature that you're looking at mm. and why it's reacting like that to you, right. and then just try and gauge your size in comparison to what you're looking at, well, I'd be scared too if there was right. something a thousand times the size <laughs> of me <laughs> looking at me. But then again, maybe I'm guilty of, of you know, empathizing or sympathizing for a creature which doesn't have the the same brain chemistry doesn't think like humans do i'm right. very guilty of that quite often i think well i'd be scared if something that big came up to me so you know it's uh, it's a fine line but it does help you not be scared anymore when you learn more things and reasons and learn about its life and why it's there in the first place i try and read as much as i can it's you know we've learned so much about um and my daughters have learned so much about butterflies and ducks and all the animals that we have around the house. And even when we've traveled to other parts of the country, it's brilliant to be able to, you know, and maybe when we do, we can do that again in the future. It's yeah. great to go to a new area and 
and see new plants and see new birds and animals and um, and also to be able to come back and identify them and learn about them and learn about what you've seen you know that picture you've taken what was that tree blah blah, blah. oh that's that's what it was and i find that consistently interesting never never bores me exactly and i think the what i find unique about what you're doing too is it's it's a lot of macro stuff so being able to to see that part of the world is something that we just tend to walk over or step on yeah the often overlooked is um yes. I, I do i do find it quite fascinating and uh Every now and then, especially this this season, which is my favourite season, you know, walking in the woods, and and I'll go down and I'll look at I'll look at a mushroom that I've seen that's quite small, and then next to it will be like a tiny tiny mushroom that's even smaller. And it's just like on a, on a twig, and I wouldn't have spotted that if I hadn't have gone down and and seen the others. And uh, there's just a whole world going on under your feet, everywhere, all the time. That um that you don't see so starting to notice that more yeah. and showing others that it's there right is uh something that makes me quite quite pleased well i think a lot of people are going to enjoy that when they look at your nature journal and try and think about you know what do i have around my house right do i have something similar i think that's going to inspire many people so i oh, think if you've got great. somebody who loves nature in your family um and you're hearing this it's it's going to be a definitely unique gift for christmas if you uh or for the holidays, if you consider uh, picking up one of Joe's books, I think it's brilliant. Oh, thank you. So I wanted to ask you, you know, obviously you've done a lot with the otter and the book <laughs> in the last year. You've done some other work as well, and you did another book, if we can just talk about that, where you did some illustration, right? Red 67. Yes. It's a, um, it's basically the 67, um, 67 birds that are on the red list that are the most vulnerable in uh, in the UK, and um, all of the proceeds, they they got a load. They got six, sixty-seven different illustrators to um, illustrate each bird. Okay. And they and they got um, sixty-seven uh, writers and uh, bloggers and to uh, to write the words or a poem or for, for each each bird. And uh, all of the proceeds for the Red Sixty Seven book um, go to um, the conservation of these birds to helping. Oh, that's awesome. It's great. It's a great uh, cause, and uh, I'm all up for when it went nature. That's why I did the otter for Dartmoor because it's right. the, the the natural world. And if I can help conservation of any species with my artwork, then I'm going to do it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, the world needs more people like you. That's awesome. No, oh, thank you. So, do you have anything else that is on the horizon? Are you still? I mean, you're still doing some illustration for for others for other books so i mean there's projects you can't talk about but you're still quite busy beyond the book that you just i'm released. still quite busy beyond the book yeah yeah the, i'm just like, more more busy uh <laughs> more busy now delegating uh which uh which which work to take on and uh yeah i've still got a lot of um continuous work in the background that's going on as well but um i had I, over the last year i have had to increase my um my workflow and um and and hire a, a publicist Stroke, you know my my friend. He he sorts out a lot of a lot of stuff for me that I clearly need at this time in my career. Yeah, it was. Uh, I thought it was funny this morning. Just uh, for the listener, <laughs> this individual sends me an email saying, uh, I, "I think we have a conflict with the the time." And I'm thinking, "Wow, Jill has people." <laughs> yeah, I know your people. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that's uh, that's great. I mean, you get to a point where you need it. And I'm so happy for you and your success. I mean, you've had success for years, but this book seems like it's really kind of ballooned, right? When it started with that video and then everything's just yeah. been ramping up, that you're able to manage all that. And I worry about some people when you have that kind of level of success that we we you know we often plan for failure. We try to, but we don't necessarily plan for success. But it seems like you're still Joe Brown. And I think that's a challenge for some, right? Where you have this kind of upward climb and it can be very difficult at times because you've got to you've got to maintain a sense of self. I will not forget and always have at the back of my mind why I started all this to begin with. And it is all to it's wonderful that it's getting the recognition that it's getting and that it's helping people. But uh, the main reason I did it is because it's helping me. It's helping me to exist in this world to a level where I can look after my mental health and the structure in my life that it's given me. It's, um, it's a wonderful way to be inspired. And I feel very lucky and, and privileged and just fortunate that nature and the natural world inspires me so much. And it doesn't cost anything free. You can just look at it. It's just, just not about money. It's not about profit. The, the, the core reason that I began this and why I love this is because it helps every aspect of my soul. And it just it helps me function day to day. Have you ever had issues saying no to new work? Have you had to develop a bit of a, uh, not anymore. a stronger stance? <laughs> not, not anymore. <laughs> yeah. I um I uh you so when you start out you say yes to everything. Right. And then you gradually realise, Christ, I shouldn't have said yes to that. This is causing me large, large hours of undue pressure and stress and what am I doing? Why am I doing this? But yeah, so um but now I have my my people but uh, <laughs> deal deal with that because I can I can there's there's things I'm not capable of. There's things that I I don't know how to reply. I don't know what to say. I I don't know whether it's a good idea or not. There are still things that I'm, what do I do? And I need a lot more advice these days from more professional people who are in the industry who say, no, you don't need to do that. No, you can say no to that. No, you can say no. And I'm, it, you know, so it's right. not just me. I do have, and I need more help these days to say, this is more important. Do this, you know. So can I go back to this point when you took on this publicist? You've known this indiv- this person, your people, <laughs> he's for, a, for, he, for, for a decade. Was yeah, it, he's an old school friend. He's okay. a great friend of mine. So that was an easy thing to be able to take on and say, I, I need your help. Or It was just, I um, can't believe it didn't happen 10 years ago. It's just, um, he used to be a record producer. So he's spent a lot of time in the industry working with creatives and he's very, very good online and he helps me with my, my internet, my online presence and stuff. And I'm like, why didn't I do this agent? Yeah, just, right. just uh, very good. <laughs> very good for me. Yeah, I initially thought it was spam, but it's like, how is this spammer to know that we have a scheduled interview time? But he's switched on. He's definitely switched on. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So I wanted to end, if we can, with a bit of homework. If you can think of something that the creative, the artist, or just the person listening can do to kind of help further their journey and what you think they can do to do that, if you have some thoughts. I, um, I, did, um, I did think about that question and I thought as a, um, 
as a homework assignment, creative people or, or whoever, whoever's listening could potentially, mm. because this is the season, um, attempt to maybe do what I did with the, um, with the ink caps. And if they do see any ink caps around, because they are fruiting at the moment, it's mushroom season over here in the UK and, and in a lot of other places, but um, all the ink caps are showing for now. And if anybody saw one or they knew of them, uh, but I think my homework assignment would be to suggest get a pipette. God, 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 you know, go draw off some of that ink and um, and see what you could try, you know, try and draw something with um, with a natural material that um, that you've just acquired from. I found it really creative and interesting and it's something that I hadn't tried before. I just I saw it and I knew that you could do it. It was ink and I would imagine people have potentially done the same with an op- octopus ink or some, you know, anything that produces ink. I'm like, I wonder if you could draw this ink. I can have a go. I'm going to do that. So that would be my homework assignment. What a great <laughs> idea. I, I have to say that's the most unique homework that I've had <laughs> from a guest on the show. But, really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's very specific, but I think that's a really, uh, I'm going to have to go uh, look in my yard and see if I could find them. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know for our region. I don't know enough about mushrooms in the area to know even if we have them or whether if they come up in your region. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm gonna have to go take a look. Maybe there's something else I can use in the woods. Too. Yeah, exactly. Maybe there's something else. Uh, oh, yeah. the possibility. <laughs> That's right. What a brilliant <laughs> idea. I'm gonna have to. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to investigate that. That's. I'm excited. <laughs> While you're out there looking for spiders, obviously. And, and I, <laughs> I have a pipette because my daughter has a microscope and we've used there it for you pond water. You've already got the tools. I've, That's I've perfect. It. And I could use one of my fountain pens and just dip it in. I don't need a yes! can. Yeah. Good to <laughs> go. got all the tools. Yeah. Perfect. That's awesome. What a great idea. Thank you for that. That's uh that's no a problem. <laughs> so Joe, where can uh people find you oh and what maybe what we should do is if anyone does take that ink and create something mm-hmm. maybe tag joe yeah. and i in it whether it's on instagram or twitter that's a good idea we could turn it into a thread and see what people came up with that'd be great yeah i'll like yeah. do a blog on it <laughs> that's it i'll tell my people <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's what i was going to ask you is where pe- can people find you so you you have a blog and i didn't like you still produce on a regular basis on that blog um and yeah. i'll Provide a link to uh, Bernoid.com is your website. You still... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So people can also find you on uh, Twitter, on Instagram as well? Yeah, I'm um, T-A-O-J-B on Instagram, the Art of Joe Brown. I would have had Bernoid for um, for the Instagram handle, but somebody else has got it, so I couldn't have it. And um, I'm Bernoid on Twitter, and my okay. website is uh, Bernoid.com. And I um, uh, regularly update the blog yeah, that's awesome. And I'll, I'll provide, you've got a link to purchasing the book on your website, but I'll embed that yes, in the show notes as well. Fantastic. So that people can go directly there and get it. That's great. I think uh, it's so great to see like all the photographs, all the art, everything that you share. So if you aren't following Joe Brown on Twitter and Instagram, uh, I recommend you do so because, you know, sometimes a, a spiderling will just, uh, will change your day. But it changed mine. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you, Joe. I wish you uh, success. I hope to uh, that we can catch up again in the future. Find out all the wonderful things that you've created and and uh, your journey along the way. And thank you again for making the time. I know we defer this because of your book launch, and I thank you so much for 
for connecting with your people <laughs> and, <laughs> and having the opportunity to sit and chat with you again. This has been brilliant. I really enjoyed it the last time, Mike, and I'm th- thank- so thankful and uh, grateful that you invited me back on again. I feel very, um, very privileged that, That's awesome. um, that you did that. Thank you. Keep greeting and, uh, and stay safe, Joe. You too. Thank you okay. very much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that conversation I had with Joe. Show notes, including links to everything Joe and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 40. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the newsletter on the website and share the podcast with someone you know. You can find links to the Patreon for the show and all my social media accounts at drawinginspiration.fm, including my Instagram, which is Mike underscore Hendley, where I post all my art. Follow me or tag me so I can see what you've created recently. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Until next time, be kind to one another. Keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod. Music